So our scripture this morning is Psalm 97. And this psalm, it paints a beautiful picture. And I think it's a picture that's often hard for us uh, in, in an American, genteel, democratic world to really wrap our brains around because so much of it talks about kings and thrones and about taking out your enemies. And so as we, as we read it, use your imagination and try your, and pull yourself out of the culture that we're in now because so oftentimes we try and fit Scripture in, into how we see the world and it always smacks us over the head with with the, the, the language and the way they, they go about things. So hear this psalm and paint a picture of what, what God is like. It says, uh, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous. And joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Amen. Richard Vermbrand served nearly 14 years in Soviet prisons because he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three of those years were in an underground solitary confinement cell. The guards wore felt on their shoes to keep the prisons dead silent and preserve the illusion of absolute isolation. He was arrested because he resisted government control of the church. And I mention him today because if you read his books, and his, his best known book is Tortured for Christ. If you read his books or if you go on YouTube and watch videos of him, you will be impressed not by a man who suffered, but by a man who believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loved the Lord. And he loved to tell people about the Lord. And he could not be stopped. He told about how communists attempted to suppress the church. And the church did go underground. And they outlawed the Bible. You couldn't have a Bible openly or you'd be arrested. And you didn't know what would happen after that. And he talked about 
how it was extremely difficult and dangerous to have a copy of the Word of God. But, he said that the state would write books attempting to refute Christianity, to show it to be false. And he said those communist books that were published by the state would quote really large portions of Scripture. So, the church would request several copies of these books. And he said the state was delighted, not knowing that they were giving the church the scriptures that they had made illegal. He said that the arguments against the faith in the books were so stupid that no one took them seriously. But that the word of God was so precious that Christians loved getting these books. This was an attempt to stop the gospel. And it ended up furthering the gospel. And I mention that today because I believe that the finger of God was at work there. Chris read Psalm 97. And it's a stunning reminder of God's awesome power. Thick clouds are described surrounding God. We're reminded of his massive size and also our inability to see and comprehend him fully. Fire goes before him. He is holy. He is powerful. And the whole world is lit by his lightning. Mountains melt like wax before him. Raging storms and blazing fire are reminders of how small we are as humans. You can't push back an oncoming thunderstorm. There's nothing you can do. Think of the wildfires in California that rage every year that we try to contain. And very often they can't be contained. Colossal clouds and raging fires are small things to our magnificent God who controls them both. Nothing can stop the God who controls chaos itself. And with all this blustering, blazing imagery, the psalm concludes instructing the righteous to rejoice because this God of awesome power looks after the righteous. They have joy because of his goodness and his character. And Paul, the writer of Philippians, could testify to this personally. His joy is in the good news of Jesus Christ. That because Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, we have peace with this awesome God. God will not punish us for our sins because they have been paid for with the precious blood of Christ. Not only peace with God, but we are welcomed into fellowship with this awesome God. And again and again in his letters, Paul makes it clear that God himself is the one advancing this gospel and that nothing can stop it. And I believe that the confidence that he shows in the letter to the Philippians is confidence that's rooted 
in this all-powerful, awesome God. This is the grounding of his joy. And my prayer today is that we as a church would discover this joy in the gospel afresh. That we would know that our God is high and holy and he is still advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that our joy would be in the spread of the gospel here in Holly and all around the world. So if you have a Bible with this morning, I encourage you to turn to the book of Philippians. You can take our one of our new pew Bibles and turn to page 980. You'll find the text on page 980 or in your own Bible, Philippians chapter 1. And we'll be reading verses 12 through the first half of 18 together. Philippians 1 verse 12, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. The title of my message today is Paul's Joy, Gospel Progress. And we will see the gospel progress through chains, through the church, and even through rivalry. Nothing could stop it. Which is why Paul's joy couldn't be stopped even when he's chained to a Roman soldier. Let's look again at verses 12 and 13 together and see the progress through chains. This is the progress through chains. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is writing to let the Philippian church know that a little thing like being chained to a Roman soldier isn't slowing down the gospel in the least. You could be forgiven for assuming that a man chained to a soldier would have less of a ministry than a man preaching in the town square. But Paul is setting the record straight. He hasn't stopped preaching the gospel. He just has a different audience. For starters, he told the guard who's chained to him about Christ. And if you think about it, Usually, we're not talking literally when we, when we mention a captive audience. But in this case, couldn't get away from him. And in fact, not only that soldier, and I'm sure they had different soldiers. Poor guy got to go home occasionally. But not only those soldiers, but Paul says, the entire imperial guard now knows the gospel. People who likely wouldn't have spent their downtime in a synagogue 
listening to some Jewish guy preach about Jesus Christ. God has strategically positioned him so that these people are now hearing the gospel. And Paul is saying, I haven't stopped preaching. I just have a different audience. And the gospel is spreading further to people who would otherwise not have heard it. And he's seen fruit in this ministry. It's not in the passage that we read today, but if you look at the end of this letter, the letter ends with a greeting from those in Caesar's household to the church in Philippi. Those in Caesar's household are those people who are serving as Roman officials. And those are people who have heard the gospel and believed and now consider the church at Philippi to be their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they greet them in the Lord as a result of Paul's chains. Paul is honest in his letters that he has physical and spiritual enemies who oppose him. And you can imagine that they thought by arresting him, they would put a stop to the spread of the gospel. But the God who controls thunderstorms and wildfires cannot be stopped. And I opened this message telling you about Richard Wormbrand, and I love his enthusiasm for the gospel, that it couldn't be contained. He saw Soviet oppression as just a means of spreading the gospel differently. And he survived those three years of solitary confinement by composing and preaching a sermon every day in his cell. And he would tap them out in Morse code to the people on either side of the cell, encouraging them and preaching with Morris code. I can't imagine. My sermons last about 35 minutes. I have no idea how long it would take if I were tapping it out in Morris code. I love that just 60 years ago, we have a reminder that God still does for people what he did for the Apostle Paul. That even chains in prison cannot stop the gospel. That it spreads even there. But as I got ready for this message, I was shocked and blessed by a story that's even more recent than 60 years ago. Last Tuesday on Desiring God's website, I read about two women in Iran. Their names are Maryam Rastanpur and Mirzaya Amirzadeh. I took, took two semesters of Arabic. You would think this would be easier. Both of those women converted from Islam to Christianity separately. They both worshipped the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They met outside the country and agreed to work together in Tehran. And for three years, they passed out New Testaments in Farsi. See, in, in Iran, the state actually does allow the Bible to exist, but it's an edited version. So if you read the New Testament in the state-approved Bible, you'll walk away believing that Jesus is just a prophet. And these women said, no, we need accurate translations of the word of God. We're going to spread the truth about who Jesus is, and we don't care what happens as a result. So in three years, they distributed 20,000 New Testaments. They would smuggle them in in vans, stuff them full of backpacks, and give them out everywhere they went. And they said that while they did that, 
they sought opportunities to talk about their faith. They weren't just sneakily passing out literature. They weren't just leaving them around hoping people would find them. They were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they said that they did that with some fear and anxiety because they never knew if they would actually approach a policeman and then be arrested. And if you pay attention to organizations like Voice of the Martyrs today, that's the organization that Richard Rimburn founded. It's still operating and still broadcasting the news about what's happening in countries like Iran. There are pastors who are being arrested and jailed. There was actually just a couple of years ago, there was a guy that was on death row. And there were people interceding on his behalf saying he's just practicing his faith. He shouldn't be executed for practicing his faith. So Iran consistently arrests people like this, and they never knew if they would get turned over to the state, and they never knew if they would end up on death row or what else they might endure in prison. So one day, they were arrested, and they found out exactly how far and wide the good news that they'd been spreading had gone, and the illusion that they were getting away with it was shattered. But they said, most amazing of all, that being in prison was the best place they had ever found for witnessing to people who were hungry for the gospel of Jesus. This is an exact quote in their own words. They wrote a book about it, and I, I don't have the book yet. I just found out this book existed last Tuesday. So this is from the article, and I'll link to it later today. If you'd like to read it and order the book, I'd encourage you to do it, because these are two incredible women. But they said, we had spent ourselves and our resources traveling all over the country with the message of salvation, always mindful of the danger that if the wrong person overheard us. Now, we were stuck in jail, and God was bringing spiritual seekers in waves. She said the living conditions weren't very good, but they didn't have to deal with travel and traffic anymore. She said we could tell our fellow prisoners the story of Jesus openly because no one would come into the rat hole to spy on them. When I read a story like that, I think two things. I think number one, we need to pray for these people. And number two, we need to be like these people. May God forgive us for our whining attitudes that sometimes make Christ seem small and insufficient. May we have the joy that makes it obvious that fellowship with God is sweet when everything else is gone. May we spread the good news of Jesus here in Holly. If they can do it in Tehran, what are we doing? Both of these women were were released And you can read their story in the book, Captive in Iran. And I'll send a link to where you can get it later today. These women, like Richard Wimburn, did exactly what Paul did. And to their surprise, they discovered that, again, quoting them in their own words, we were more free inside the prison to give the message of salvation to many prisoners than outside the prison. Marzea said in one interview, when we were free outside the prison, we had to pray and ask God to lead us to the right person to talk. But inside the prison, we could talk to anybody. She said, one day, my interrogator became angry 
and asked why we were talking to prisoners about Jesus. And I said, we talked to prisoners about Jesus because you arrested us and put us in prison. And prisoners are curious. They all want to know, why are you here? What is your charge? So we had to explain the gospel. These women and Paul illustrate that the gospel cannot be stopped. And they inspire us to be like them. And Paul was an inspiration in the church in his day as well. Look at verse 14 with me and we'll see the progress through the church. The progress through the church. This is in verse 14. Paul writes, And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Notice Paul says, they have become more confident. In other words, they did not initially start out as confident. Many people today might desire to share their faith, but they lack boldness. And they feel like, how can I ever get to a place where I can actually tell someone about Jesus Christ? Well, I've got good news. Initially, these brothers and sisters at the church in Rome felt the exact same way that you did. And Paul's story inspired people to step out in faith and to have more boldness. In fact, he suggests in three different ways in this verse that the church did not start out in a place of boldness. He says, number one, I've already mentioned it, having become, meaning that there was a change, that they did not used to have confidence, but they became confident. Number two, he says they were more bold, which implies that they had lacked boldness. You might say that they were cowardly. And number three, they were speaking without fear, which implies that they had been afraid. So if you wrestle with fear, if you lack boldness, know that you're in good company. That's where Christians start. But through the example of Paul and through the example of people like Rich Women and these two ladies, we should be inspired to know that you can lose everything and still have incredible joy. They said they felt freer after they were arrested than they had while they were on the streets. So there is hope. Don't hear these stories and think, well, I could never be like that. That's not true. People were inspired by Paul, and they were moved from not knowing what to say or how to say it, and being afraid of speaking, to having confident boldness to speak without fear. My prayer is that in telling you these stories, you and I will grow in our faith, that we will have a clearer picture of God, that He is the one that makes this gospel go forward, and that we will want to tell other people what He's doing in our lives, in our church, and around the world. When you hear a story like these two ladies, it's hard to not tell people about it. I think I, think I told my wife actually before. I'm not sure if I did or not. I talk to a lot of people, so sometimes I lose track. But when you read a story like this, it's hard to keep it in because I knew about the voice of the martyrs guy, but I am, I am only 33 years old. Something that happened 60 years ago is history for me. So I think, wow, God did that 60 years ago. That's pretty incredible. But to read that he did it last year, to me, is even more incredible. He hasn't gone out of business. He's still doing this. 
And he can do it in you and he can do it in me. He can give us this kind of boldness. And we should hear these stories and have confidence. Tell people about what the Lord is doing. So let me urge you to step out and be bold. Consider coming to the gospel workshop, that that free donut sign that's out there. Sign up. I would encourage you. It'll be a time when you're able to clarify what exactly do I need to communicate when I want to tell someone about Jesus? What might that look like? And it'll it'll increase your boldness. That's my prayer. Keep it in prayer. We want all of our ministry to bear fruit. That only happens when God's at work. So keep this in prayer. But I would urge you to sign up. Let's step up. Let's get to a place where we, like these brothers and sisters in the Roman church where Paul was imprisoned, are sharing their faith more boldly because we see God at work and we want to tell people about it. Let's ask God to do for us what he has done for other people. So as the gospel spread throughout Rome, Paul was honest. It wasn't, it wasn't all perfect. It wasn't all great. They still actually faced opposition, not only from outside the church, but also within the church. And apparently some people preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, not with sincere and good and pure motives, but in order to hurt Paul, to make him feel like he wasn't necessary or he wasn't needed, that the church was growing without him, and they thought somehow that that news would discourage him. Let's read about progress through rivalry. Progress through rivalry. Let's look at verses 15 through the first half of 18 again. Paul writes, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Paul makes it clear, even rivalry, which is sinful to have these kinds of attitudes and and motives, even in rivalry, the gospel still progresses. God can work with us or in spite of us. My prayer is that he works with us. But may we praise him when we see the gospel spread. No matter what, that should be the most important thing to us. Personally, it's crazy to me to think that some people would want to cause Paul pain and even crazier to think that they could do that by preaching the gospel that he preached. But the reality is, Paul didn't care. He said, I don't care who preaches or even why they preach. I only care that Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And he had joy in the spread of the gospel. That this rivalry was actually causing the church to spread out wider and reach more people. And he had joy in the spread of the gospel. He loved seeing people pass from death to life as they believed that Jesus had died for their sins and rose from the dead. He loved seeing people turn from dead idols and worship the Lord in obedience. And I believe that we have room to be more like him. As we look at the churches in our neighborhood, it's very easy to be critical, either of theology or of their methodology. It's very easy to be critical of personalities. But the reality is, we should have joy that the gospel is being spread everywhere where the scriptures are read 
And the good news of Jesus crucified and risen from the dead is proclaimed. Sometimes we forget that God is actually the one who grows the church. It's easy to have some bitterness. It's easy to be guilty of the kind of rivalry that he is talking about here. And in the remaining time that we have today, I want to ask you to examine your own hearts. I want to be honest here. He says there is a time and a place to be critical. And I mentioned in the past when Paul writes Galatians, he is heavily critical, but only when the gospel itself is compromised. When another gospel is preached, that's when he brings out the big guns. But so long as the gospel is preached, he says, we can get along and and disagree on a number of things if the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. And that needs to be our litmus test. If our joy is in the gospel, we won't care where it's preached or who's doing the preaching. We'll be enthusiastic and excited that people are coming to the Lord and being saved. And it doesn't matter if it's in our church or if it's in another church. The reality is we should be like Paul. We should have this joy. Brothers and sisters, if we have bitterness in our hearts, we have lost sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in our own lives and in the mission of the church. And it will hinder our witness. It is very hard to tell someone about the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ if you're not joyful because your heart is full of bitterness. Let me urge you to remember that God is the one who grows his church. And so if you see another church growing, or if you hear about a church being planted, don't view it as a threat. Say, if God wants to use them, that's fantastic. God is still in control. The God that used the Soviets to print the Bible is still here. He's still putting his people exactly where he needs him. And I'll say, even in Holly, Even some of the pain that our church has experienced in the last two years has caused the gospel to spread further in Holly. And we need to be okay with that and not harbor bitterness in our hearts. I urge you, if you wonder why you don't have an effective witness, check your heart. Are you joyful about the good news of Jesus Christ in your own life? Do you recognize that your sins have been forgiven? Because that's the first step to sharing it with somebody else. And in a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. And I would actually like to pray for all of our neighboring churches. But before I do that, I want to give you just a few moments. We're going to be taking communion in just a moment. I'd like you to use this time. Examine your heart. Is there bitterness there? Is there another sin that you need to confess? It's so critical before we take communion to be right with the Lord. I want to give you just a few moments so that we can take this communion and be right with God and celebrate the table as we should. But particularly, think of our neighboring churches and ask yourself, do you have joy when you think of the ministry that God is doing there? And examine your heart. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for what you have done through Jesus. We thank you that in love, you predestined it all before the world began. Lord, we thank you for the ministry that's taking place 
at churches like St. Rita's, Holly Presbyterian, Great Lakes Bible, Calvary United Methodist, Holly Nazarene, Seventh-day Adventist Church, Engaged Community Church, The River, Twelve Stones, and we thank you for The Rock. Lord, we ask that you would bless your church. We pray that all who look to you for salvation would have boldness to spread the good news that our sins can be forgiven through Jesus. May we as your church worship you in holiness. We pray that you would bless your church with spiritual health, with purity. We ask your forgiveness for when our whining attitudes make Christ seem small and insufficient. We ask your forgiveness for when we we ourselves form rivalries and factions that don't honor you. But we thank you that your gospel continues to spread, sometimes even in spite of us. And Lord, we ask that you would use us, that you would work through us, not not in spite of us. May we have the joy that makes it obvious that fellowship with God is sweet, even when everything else is gone. May we faithfully spread your word, preach the gospel, teach the scriptures, and make disciples. May your church grow. We pray for unity. We ask that you would help us to forgive each other as you have forgiven us. In Jesus' name, amen.